Hello everyone and welcome to People Make the Difference, the Lorian podcast. Every month we talk about all aspects of talent acquisition, talent management, industry insights and much more. The aim is to give our listeners an insight into what the best organisations do in this space to acquire and look after people that make a difference within their businesses. I'm Kaylee Luff and each episode I'll be joined by my colleagues Darren and Sammy along with some special guests along the way. Hi everyone. In today's episode of the Lorian podcast, People Make the Difference, we're speaking with Chris Blackburn, Head of Corporate Social Responsibility and STEM Ambassador at the Impelum Group. Today we're going to be discussing why CSR is so important for businesses. So let's kick off then, Chris. While you take that big slurp of tea, I'll let you swallow it. Would you like to introduce <laughs> yourself to our audience? Uh, yeah, so uh, my name is Chris Blackburn. I am the head of corporate social responsibility for the STEM portfolio of brands uh, within Impelum. Uh, and obviously, that portfolio of brands includes uh, Lorien, um, SRG, and Carbon 60. I won't say which one is my favourite, but I do quite like Lorien. <laughs> no favouritism here, then. No, none whatsoever. <laughs> So uh, I was going to say, it's fair uh, to say that obviously you're quite established with the uh, Impelum brands. It's not a new appointment necessarily. Well, maybe job title, but um, you've you've worked with Impelum previously. Um, but obviously this role is is entirely different to what you did beforehand and obviously with a, a, a big focus on CSR. Um, so what would you say, and it's a big question, I'm going to go straight in. Um, what is your vision of what an organisation CSR CSR policy um, and practices should look like and how are you envisioning we're going to implement and improve on what we do currently um, across the SEM portfolio and at Impelum? Wow, that is a question. Um, so CSR is, is such a huge, a huge beast is probably the word that I will use and I'm sure we'll come on to sort of breaking that down during this conversation but for me it's all about being authentic so I've spent the last few months really looking at our competitors and other big organizations um, you, you know organizations that we would recognize to see what are people doing in terms of CSR where can we align ourselves so that we are delivering the very best that we can as an organization and generally what you find is that csr for a lot of organizations comes into two camps they are absolutely living and breathing it and csr is a real authentic part of their business where um, they align staff engagement staff retention and really giving back to the planet in which they do business and it's really evident I think these other organisations where when you read their annual sustainability reports, what becomes really clear is it's a report that almost feels like it's been filled in because it has to be filled in rather than it's something that's embodied or embedded, should I say, not embodied, embedded within their organisation. So I suppose really that's, that's my way of answering the question is that it's got to be authentic it's got to be 
you've got to trust what you are reading and that the company is doing it for the purpose of bettering the planet on which they do business rather than it being a tick box exercise. And that kind of aligns to where I see our CSR policy within our STEM brands within Impellum. For me, it's about making a real difference, a real difference in uh, uh, to the planet in which we do business um, and utilising that for the greater good internally as well. So, as I said before, staff engagement, staff retention, collaboration. Um, and that will come as a result because staff really get the feeling that the business cares about CSR. Do, do you know? I think I think that's that's probably how I would um, sort of align where we want to be. That's not to say where we are right now. So would you say for um, other businesses that perhaps are on this journey or reviewing their um, CSR within internally that, obviously at the forefront it definitely needs to be authentic yeah. um, and is that a behavioural change across the business that needs to happen? And I think that word you use there Kayle is perfect it's a behavioural change yeah and we are in an ever-changing world and I, I always sort of beg myself not to mention the pandemic but we have to look at the pandemic and see some real positives that came out of the pandemic. Now, that's not me discounting any negatives that came out. That's not what I'm here to talk about today, and I'm I'm fully aware of them. But there are some real positives. Look at our now, how we embrace technology now compared to what it was three years ago. That's because we've gone on a behavioural change over that process. We've been forced to make that change because quite often we don't as individuals like change. You know, we have to be forced to change. And, and I cite technology as one example where we have been forced to change. The best story I tell is that, you know, four years ago, I, I called my best mate on work on uh, FaceTime and, um, he said to me, what, what, why are you calling me on FaceTime? He said, my mum rings me on FaceTime, not you. And he put the phone down on me and he rang me back. Um, that was four years ago. Now that would not be an issue. I can ring him on FaceTime now. And now it's an accepted way of us having a conversation in a video call. And I, and I cite that as an example. So if we go back to the question, I think we are going through a behavioural change and we are crossing them boundaries of tick box to actually be meaningful. Yeah. And the other thing that I always look back on is it's not so long ago that we could smoke on an aeroplane. Now, when we just think about that, just think about that for a second, we could smoke on an aeroplane. We could put a cigarette in our mouths, light a lighter with a naked flame in an aeroplane and smoke at the back because apparently smoke doesn't travel through an aircraft. And that's what we used to be able to do. Now, that's unthinkable right now to, to think that that once happened. I think that's the way that we are going with CSR. It will in in two, three, four, even five years time be unthinkable that some organisations didn't pay close attention to the world in which they do business. You'll know this with your aviation background, Chris, or aviation knowledge. Can you smoke on a private plane? Uh, no, you can't. Smoke, because, no, you, you, you can't. You're looking for a new flight to go on, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> I've never even had one drag of a cigarette in my life. I just thought, yeah, I imagine that causes some fun. Um, <laughs> I read a report last week, Chris, by Cognizant, and it was really interesting. It was all about Gen Z in the workplace 
and following purpose. And what Cognizant said in this survey, I'm paraphrasing here, is that Gen Z care about purpose, as we are regularly told, but they care about purpose where it is personally aligned to them, where it matters with them. So we've had this overarching idea, haven't we, over the past few years that newer generations in the workforce care about uh, CSR, care about the purpose of the organisation, care about all these good things. This latest Cognizant report said they do care about that stuff, but only when it aligns to their personal values. How, how can we bridge CSR of an organisation to each individual's values, do you think? Yeah, that's that's a great question, Darren. And and actually, um, I, I was lucky before I came into this role that I had quite a lot of time to really consider how we would take CSR forward. And and five weeks in, I'll be honest, the first task that I've I've just completed actually is to recruit a people of representatives from our organisation who will become that CSR voice. What I was really mindful of is that I could quite easily be the person that steers our strategy long term and therefore it becomes my ideas, my suggestions and my ways with the help of our, our SLT. But actually I think it's fair to say that none of our SLT are in that gen that you just talked about. I'm not either um, and therefore what we have to do is make sure that we've got a representation across the business. Uh, and that's what we've done. So we've recruited 18 individuals from across the business that are from a variety of backgrounds, uh, a variety of locations, et cetera, et cetera, that will really power what I've identified as our seven strategic aims. Um, it, it's interesting. And, and to back up your point, actually, Darren, I was going through some um, post-it notes this morning that we put together uh, as a team of individuals that I was with a couple of weeks ago. Kaylee actually was was in that session with me. And you could almost tell who had written what, if that makes sense, because there were some absolute alignments with things that mattered to them as an individual. Um, so that's what we've done. And, you know, our first meeting together is mid-June. And I suppose this is me now harbouring after an invite back to say, I'll let you know how that goes. It's interesting as well that you said, obviously, um, from the session that you and I had um, and the rest of the marketing team, that you was able to clearly identify um, the, the suggestions that were put forward based on, obviously, the, the conversations and perhaps the personalities that you were dealing with in that session. Um, and you touched upon uh, the seven key focuses that um, we are, your focus, and we are looking forward to um, as part of the Impelum Group. Is there stuff that you can um, discuss with us? Can you give us a, um, a bit of an idea around those seven? Yeah, absolutely. So this is where it gets slightly complicated. So what what we've decided to do as part of our strategy is align our CSA, our corporate strategy, to the 17 sustainable goals that the UN set out. That allows us to externally talk in a language that is familiar to every single person um, uh, that, that has a knowledge of CSR and is reading our sustainability reports, et cetera, et cetera. What I was conscious of is actually 17 sustainable goals. There's going to be a number of them goals where we have initially some strong evidence and we, we set targets to build strong evidence in other areas. Will we ever get to a point where we are we have strong evidence in all 17? I'm not so sure. Time will tell, I, I suppose. So externally, we will talk about these 17 sustainable goals. 
what I needed to do internally is align them really to areas that add a golden thread to our own organisational strategy uh, and what we're trying to achieve. So ultimately what, what we've done is, is we've looked at them seven key areas, aligned them to 17, and what we came up with is that we would be concentrating on our carbon footprint. And that for us wouldn't just be across our STEM brands, would be as uh, across Impelum as a whole. We'll then start looking at uh, diversity inclusion, employability, giving back, early careers, and obviously employee engagement and the partnerships that we form with our clients as well. And what's really, for me, interesting about that is that I hope that them seven strategic aims covers a real strong, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, sort of vision and um, engagement from that team of people that I talked about earlier. Um, because quite often CSR for some people can just be thought of as giving back, charity, volunteering. And yes, that is an element. It's number four on our strategic aims, but it's not the be all and end all. That's just one thing of a range of things that, that we should be doing as, a, as an organisation. And do you think there's any um, points that or um, any strategic objectives to do with the CSR that are um, underrepresented, uh, not just obviously from us, but just kind of across all businesses? Yeah. So and I think and actually Darren kind of alluded to it and, and brought this in himself a couple of seconds ago when he referred to my aviation experience. So um Whilst I have been with Impelum Group for 15 years, I, I've just taken a 12-month um, gap, let's say. I, I call it my sabbatical, where I went and worked for another organisation. It was part of a bigger project. We can save that conversation uh, for another day. But ultimately, what I've been doing is helping individuals become aircraft engineers. And what what's really become clear in my five weeks, and with working with them guys for the last three years, is that early careers needs to form especially for a recruitment business part of our csr policy we need to be looking at that future pipeline of talent that's coming through and especially in stem subjects the fact of the matter is and if we take this to the bare bone kids children come what you want they generally go into the types of industries that their parents went into or somebody that they are closely um, engaged with within their family or friends. That's where they tend to go. Okay. And that's creating us problems. Now, the reason that they go that way is because not because they don't have the desire to do something different. That's definitely not the case, but because they don't know about the jobs that exist. And actually, there's a lot of schools these days that are that are operating as businesses. They're bringing newly qualified teachers in that have literally gone from school to university into teaching and therefore don't have the knowledge to be able to really engage with children as to what careers are out there. I'll give you an example. I, I, I was chatting to a teacher uh, a few months ago. who I, I'd done this presentation and I were asking the kids how many of them knew what they wanted to do when they left school. And remember, these guys were, I'm old school, so I'm going to say fifth form. So just about to do the GCSEs, whatever that is in new money. And uh, I was really amazed to find not many of them knew what types of jobs they wanted to go into. We're, we're talking less than five percent and, and I, I referenced that with the teacher and, and talked about how surprised I was by that and her response to me was well 
to be honest, Chris, we're teaching these kids for for you know jobs that don't exist yet. And and I I had to really pause and think. Well, you're not because actually they're going to be leaving school in the next twelve to eighteen months. And whilst I appreciate there are jobs that we don't know about yet, only a small percentage of these individuals are going to go into these jobs. So what we need to be doing as teachers, as recruiters, as ambassadors, is we need to be not only educating children on the exciting jobs that we have, especially within STEM, but we also need to take this one step further. I think we need to be partnering with schools to take teachers into the workplace. And actually, if we think about Laurie and think about some of the clients that we are lucky enough to do business with, imagine if we could be the person that takes a teacher out of the school for two days and goes and puts them in a technology firm or an aircraft uh, firm or a science uh, client where this teacher will really learn about the skills, knowledge and experience that's required to do that job, see some real life examples and then go and influence our future talent. You know, it, it's that almost social media influencer, isn't it? Don't influence the people that are following it, influence the influencer and they'll do that job for you. So, you know, whilst all of our seven strategic aims are important, that's the one where most of my passion comes from, because I think it aligns really well to us as an organisation as well, and where we can make a real difference. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Chris. And we see it all the time that when we think about why is there a shortage of, of STEM talent, you know, why is there a, a shortage of diverse STEM talent? So much comes back to education, doesn't it? And I mean, it sounds like a flipping comment, but education seems to be falling short of getting people ready for the world of work and what actually it contains. I mean, it it, it did in my day, and that's why I'm a recruiter now. <laughs> when, um, I mean, I think you've spoken at the start of our conversation today about what CSR looks like in an ideal scenario. When you look outside of Impelum, or maybe internally at Impelum, what shouldn't CSR and CSR campaigns look like? What should or shouldn't? Shouldn't shouldn't yeah what, what 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 do you see that's that's you know that's bad practice or you know maybe gets you back up a little bit in, in this world i suppose it goes back to that initial comments that i was saying about you know it being authentic and uh, and actually where organizations just are throwing money at something or you know doing something because they know it's going to look good in a report that ultimately is going to be sat in front of somebody in a bid or tender for business um you know i met with a charity last week and and you know as a, as a yorkshireman I, i've i've got an awful lot of candor I, I can speak quite directly sometimes i have to reel it in and I, and I said to this charity who actually hopefully will help us propel um ourselves into schools and and that that uh, early talent that I talked about before I said to him look you know I could sit here and just throw 100 grand at you and that'd be dead easy and I'd get a tick tick in the box and we'll put that in bids and tenders but actually that's not meaningful that doesn't that for me doesn't demonstrate our real passion as a business to make a difference throwing money at something is not the answer it's um you know and and that's what gets my back up darren that's you, you know we can all throw money at things it's not the answer let's go make a real difference yeah and speaking of speaking of throwing throwing money at things does does csr and investments of this nature do they does it need to be an expensive practice for organizations 
Well, this is this is where you've got to look at the inputs versus outputs. So, yes, there's going to be a, a capital investment. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, my salary, for instance, is is one of them. Uh, but let's not go down that route. Um, so, yeah, there's going to be a capital investment. But then what impact and, and you guys know this more than than anybody else. What impact can that have on your staff retention and staff engagement? Because we know how much it costs us to recruit an individual to get them to the point of profitability and then retain that individual. That's a huge investment. So if you can offset that and reduce staff turnover, um, increase employee engagement, then CSR effectively, this is how I'm selling it to my boss anyway, can become an absolute free, you know, a, a, a a worthwhile investment is how we will is how we will phrase it. Sounds good. And if you had that limitless budget, if you had a magic wand, what would your craziest idea for CSRB? Oh, you know, for every single child in this country to have access to any workplace they wanted and go and spend a week there and really understand the nitty gritty of what it what it takes to work in an environment like that and what and what that environment really is like you, you know i when i started working in aviation about three four years ago i i, I dreamed of working in aviation when, when i was a child dreamed of it and that's because my dad and don't laugh at me now my dad every week used to take me to the end of the runway at Manchester Airport and we'd have a scanner and a notebook and we'd be proper plane spotters. So guess what I wanted to do as a job? I wanted to work in aviation. Now, for one reason or another, it's quite a sad story, I, I, I didn't. But the only jobs that really were in my mindset was to be a pilot or cabin crew. Okay. Now, why did I know about them two jobs? Well, one, because I know that a guy flies the plane. I've been in the cockpit. This is pre-9-11, so I've been in the cockpit many a times. And two, obviously, I'd seen the cabin crew. I was totally unaware of all them guys that used to go and fix the airplanes and maintain the airplanes before they went out traveling. And if I'd have known that at that age, that's what I'd be doing right now. I can absolutely guarantee you. So if, if we could do something crazy that gave people the ability to go and see the jobs they dream of and go and get right under the skin and go and really discover exactly what else goes on in that environment, that would be the dream. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's brilliant, isn't it? I I mean, my kids are young, but I ask them all the time, what do you want to be when you're older? And it, I'm, I just love like trying to give them the belief that they can do whatever and, they want. Well, I... I wanted to be, according to my mum, I wanted to be a vicar for a long time. When I was a <laughs> um, my, <laughs> we won't ask any more questions. <laughs> uh, my, exactly. My, uh, my little boy wanted to be a tram driver for a really, really long time. Don't know what he wants at the minute. He keeps changing his mind. My little girl wants to be a, um, wants to be a pilot, which made me think about that. We should champion that. We should champion that. I'll, I'll, I'll get my contacts out and we'll take her down to British Airways and... Uh, and uh, let's get her in the hangars and in the aircraft there. It's an amazing experience. No, it'd be amazing. She's only four, but I think I really want to kind of encourage that in because just what, what like a dream job that is would be great. Absolutely. And Chris, that that part of the conversation, the impact that um, 
going down to Manchester Airport and obviously having uh, the interest in planes and the aviation industry leads us quite nicely into our final question. Um, so the podcast is called um, uh, The Lauren Podcast, What Would People Make the Difference? So who would you say, um, if you can pinpoint one person, um, has made a difference to you um, to do what you're doing or to make a difference to your everyday life? So I'm going to pick two. Sorry. I know I'm a rule. We'll let you have it. Don't worry. I'm going to pick two. So um, here's another little story for you. So um, I left school and I'm from Halifax. And so I went to work for a bank. You can probably guess which one. But in a town like Halifax back then, everybody went to go and work for said bank. And I used to think of it like lemmings. You remember the old 80s video game lemmings? We were all just... walking into this office every day. And and I knew I wanted to do something different, something better. And I answered an ad in, in a newspaper to go and sell luxury static holiday homes. Um, you might call them caravans, but that's what I called them, luxury static <laughs> holiday homes, okay? Is that um, where the dreams in Marbella started? That's where the dreams in Marbella <laughs> started. So, I went, I moved away from home at the age of 18 and I went to live in Great Yarmouth, which is like literally five and a half hours away from Yorkshire, which meant I couldn't go home every weekend. That wasn't an option. And there um, I was very lucky to work with a guy called Chris Shannon. And um, Chris taught me everything I know about sales, everything. Sometimes I'd sit in in the office and I'd be sat at the PC and he'd be like, go and walk the holiday park. I'm like, why am I hol- walking the holiday park? Go and talk to people, he would say. And I'd go and I'd spend two hours and I'd come back and he'd say, right, go back out again, go and speak to more people. He just taught me the absolute foundations of building rapport, selling, picking up good conversations. And I used to sell these these products and I, I used to earn really good from it as well. It was back in the day of PPI and stuff like that. Anyway, from there, I went and moved to another holiday park and I went and worked for somebody called Tommy Deacon. Tommy's from Liverpool. He is an absolute full-on scouser. He's uh, an ex-holiday rep, absolutely phenomenal guy. And what he did is he took me to the next level. So Chris Chris had really sort of embedded them foundations in me. What Tommy did is started getting me thinking differently. We started working together as a partnership. We started really understanding and getting to the nitty gritty of conversations and sales and uh, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And when I came into recruitment, when I was 21 with Kelly Services in Bolton, straight across the road from the ye old pasty shop, I walked into a, into the recruitment industry and they thought I was some sort of sales superstar because I just happened to have been really lucky in spending two and a half, three years with two absolutely exceptional individuals who taught me everything. And now, you know, 20, 23 years later, I'm still in the recruitment industry and, and I think I've done all right for myself in terms of you know, the company that I work for and my job title and what I do and the exposure and everything that I've done. So it's those two individuals when I was 18 who held me by the hand and looked after me when I lived on a smell in a smelly old caravan in the middle of a field with no friends. But it was without a doubt the best lesson I could have had at, at that age. I had to learn to cook as well. So They really threw you in the deep end then. <laughs> they did. They really did. 
Well, massive thank you, Chris, um, for joining us this month on uh, the People Make a Difference podcast. Um, as ever, if you want to get in touch with us, follow us on LinkedIn, um, Twitter or um, Facebook um, and send in any questions that you may have. Thanks again. Great speaking to you guys. Thank you.